0: Hey everyone, we are so glad that you have joined us today. I want to welcome you who are joining us online. Thanks for being there. And I want to welcome everybody at our Kernersville location. Because today I am speaking in Oak Ridge at our Oak Ridge location as we continue in our series that we started last week, a series on the topic of sin called Nobody's Perfect. And I want to jump right in by asking you a question. And maybe you've never thought of it before, but here's the question. Do you think God is mad? Do you think God is mad at the world, that He's angry, that He's ticked off at Sinners, do you think God is angry and mad and ticked off at you, your neighbor? People who sit on the other side of the political aisle than you? People who live differently than you, who think differently than you? Do you think and do you assume that God's primary response to sin and sinners is the fact that he is just mad? He is angry. He is ticked off. You see, I asked the question because a lot of people make that assumption. And maybe that's the assumption that you have. Now, last week, when we started the series, we talked about how sin was when we ignore God's best. And I finished the message last week having us consider how we hear the voice of God. When we hear God's voice, especially in response to sin in our lives, how do we hear his voice? Do we hear his voice as a voice of anger or as a voice of a compassionate, loving Heavenly Father? Because that's so important. It's so important how you hear the voice of God because that helps you understand how you see God and understand and relate to God. And I think Sadly, the majority of people, even the majority of Christians, and I know in the majority of culture, they just assume that the voice of God is one of anger and disgust, and he's had it, and he's got to take it out, and he's going to take it out on somebody. Now, here's the deal. God does have wrath. God's wrath is a real thing. Judgment is a real thing. There is a time and a place for those things, but that is not God's primary response to sin and sinners. God's wrath and God's judgment is not God's primary and ultimate response to sin and to sinners. And this is so important for us to clear this up. It's so important for us to clear this up for the church, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, and especially for our culture. People who are not followers of Jesus, people who are on the outside, so to speak, looking in, it is so important for us to get this cleared up, to understand God's response to sin and sinners. Let me just go ahead and tell you, the game changer, the, the reality is that God's ultimate response, His ultimate response to sin and sinners is the cross. It's the cross, God's primary response. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, and if you want to really know what God thinks about sinners, all you got to do is ultimately look at the cross, where Jesus, God's son, who was God in flesh and bone, offered himself for the sin of the world. As the savior of the world, it is no mistake. It is no mistake. Nor is it coincidental that the cross has become the symbol of Christianity because it is at the cross where God is most clearly seen. It is at the cross where God is most thoroughly understood. The cross is God's response to sin and God's response To sinners. Now, a lot of people assume that the cross is all about God's wrath. Is it? That at the cross we see an angry, vengeful God who is upset. Many people think so. Many people believe so. Maybe you've always just assumed that the cross was happening because God was taking out His wrath on sin, specifically. On Jesus. I mean, think about that. As if God was so mad, so angry for the sin of the world, that he demanded, demanded, that somebody's got to pay, somebody's got to pay. Think about that. And so Jesus, because Jesus is a loving Savior, stood in the way of God's anger and wrath and us sinners. Sinners. And that Jesus got in the way and stood between us and an angry God. This is what a lot of people think. This is what a lot of people teach. A lot of churches teach this. And and for a few years of my life, I understood it this way. That Jesus stood in the way between an angry, wrathful God and sin and sinners. And he allowed God to punish him. And that God punished him and that God took his wrath out on him, his one and only son. That's the picture that many people have, is that God was punishing Jesus for the sin of the world, because God had to punish somebody because God was so mad, and Jesus decided to take the hit. Now, people who believe this and teach this understanding of the cross do so because they say this helps us understand just how seriously God takes sin. Now, I'll say this. We should take sin seriously. And we should understand that God takes sin seriously. That's a good thing. But unfortunately, I believe this, this view that the cross is the wrath of God distorts a healthy view of who God truly is. At the cross, there was certainly wrath happening. But what you see at the cross is not the wrath of God. What you see at the cross is the wrath of sin. More specifically, the wrath of sinful people crucifying an innocent man who was also the Son of God, God in flesh and bone. See, there was a lot of nasty stuff going down at the cross when Jesus was dying, when Jesus was being crucified, when literally he was being murdered. There was a lot of nasty stuff going on. But the nasty stuff happening at the cross was not from God's side. It was from the side of people. And if you want to get really, really deep into this, what you'll discover is that the scriptures teach that spiritually speaking, it was not just the sin of those people that were being acted out on Jesus at the cross. It was our sin, our collective sin, our individual sin. It was my sin, your sin. That Jesus was experiencing and absorbing up into himself. Our sin was even represented and present there at the cross. So, at the cross, God's response to sin was in a response of wrath, and God was mad, and thank God that Jesus stood in the way. for This angry God, who had to have blood. Now, I think there's a much better way to understand this. I think there's a much more accurate view of who God is. When you look at the cross, that is God's ultimate response to sin, but his ultimate response to sin, was not one of wrath. No, it was one of love. And not just any kind of love, God's love, as we see through Jesus, and we're getting ready to show you, is a self-sacrificing kind of love. I mean, that's what love is really all about. When someone sacrifices themselves, gives of themselves for the sake of others, that's truly love. That's the perfect picture, perfect example of love. Now, as a side note, some people say, well, was Jesus really sacrificing himself if he knew that three days later he was going to rise from the dead? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was the ultimate sacrifice because of the amount of immense pain and torture and suffering he experienced physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It was. A sacrifice, but it was a self-sacrifice. Let me show you. Let me take a couple places to help you understand and get a good picture of this. Paul writes to the Corinthians that on the cross, God was in Christ. Okay, Jesus was physically on the cross, but what was happening on the cross is that since Jesus was God in flesh and bone, it was actually God who who was in Christ on the cross. Now, this is a mystery in that how this is possible and, you know, for you and I to get our minds around this, but this is what we're taught. This is what the scriptures teach us. And so it wasn't just Jesus on the cross. Literally, because Jesus was God in flesh and bone, it was God himself sacrificing himself on the cross. So see, even then, even even right there, the idea that God would be taking out his wrath on himself is just illogical, much less misses the whole point of his love. So let's, let's continue. For God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. In other words, bringing the world back to himself, bringing people back to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That's what God was doing on the cross. That's what he was doing in himself. That was his response. And another place to just drive this home, drive this point home even further, this idea of God's self-sacrificing love. Jesus let us know that this is interesting. He said that there's just nobody can take his life from him. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. And I also have the authority to take it up again. And that's exactly what he did. At the cross, it wasn't someone taking Jesus' life from him. He was willingly volunteering himself. He was literally saying, I. I'm laying my life down because I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and I have the authority to take it up again. And thank God, three days later, he did. He did just that. So this is so important to help you understand and help us together understand what was happening at the cross. It wasn't the wrath of God. It was the love of God, the self-sacrificing love of a holy God as we see that through Jesus Christ. If you want to know, what God thinks about sin, and if you want to know his ultimate response, ultimate response to sin and sinners, all you have to do is look at the cross where we see not the wrath of God coming down on Jesus, but we see the love of God coming through Jesus for sin and sinners. So God in his self-sacrificing love On the cross through Jesus and in Jesus completely dealt with sin once and for all. For all time, for all people. Which means because of the cross, sin is no longer really the issue between God and humanity, between God and His creation. Not to say that sin doesn't exist. Not to say that no more sin is not real. No, it's just that God addressed the matter of sin. He addressed the issue of sin. And we often say it like this. He kind of answered sin and paid for sin one final time in and in of himself. Sin is no longer now the issue. Now, I want to show you this by taking you to... Something Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Rome in the first century to help them understand how through Jesus, one sacrifice, his self-sacrifice of love on the cross once and for all addressed the issue of sin, for all time, for all people. This is so important. I know it brings up a lot of questions, and we'll get to a lot of those questions, especially next week and the week after as we wrap this series up. We talk about how this applies to you and me. But it begins with us understanding what happened on the cross so that we can respond to it. And Paul was writing to this group of first um, this Christians in the first century, and, and it's so important for us to understand. And he did this by comparing Adam. And we talked about Adam last week at the end of our time together and how Adam was a part of the first sin and how that affected humanity. He compares that to Jesus Christ and how his one sacrifice on the cross affects humanity. Let's look at it together. Paul writes, for Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift, and he's referring to Jesus on the cross, leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins. So he's talking about me and you and all of us as sinners. Now he's going to dive into it a little bit more specifically here. For the sin of this one man, Adam, way back in the Garden of Eden, caused a chain reaction of death to rule over many people. For us, even us today. But even greater than that is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it, which is so important, for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin or victory over sin and death through this one man. Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying Adam sinned and he started a chain reaction that we are still replicating, that we're still living in the effects of even to this day because I still sin and you still sin and we still choose to leave God's best. But he said what happened on the cross is that Jesus once for all time and all people did what no one else could do, and that is offer himself as the once for all sacrifice for sin and what Jesus did also affects us all all time all people even to this day in my life in your life and is even greater he said than what Adam did and his effect on us even greater than that is what Jesus did on the cross and his effect for us. Then he summarizes it with this last part. He said, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But look at this. But Christ's one act of righteousness, which is when he gave his life on the cross, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. And then later on in the New Testament, you see the writer of Hebrews pick up on this same theme writing specifically to a group of Christians who um, were Christians but used to be Jewish. And they're trying to figure out this whole sacrifice thing because they used to you know, offer sacrifices at the temple in order to have their sins forgiven. And now they're following Jesus and they're trying to understand how they no longer need to do that or have to do that. Or, and eventually the, the temple would be destroyed in AD 70 and they no longer could do that as they were always accustomed to doing. So they're trying to figure out what this looks like and how to interact with Jesus as the once-for-all sacrifice. And this is what the writer of Hebrews teaches them. That Jesus, the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, happened once for all time, which also means for all people. He goes on to describe it, that Jesus offered himself there we have it again. It's a self sacrifice. Once, for all time, for all people. And then he finishes that section by pointing out that it was a single sacrifice for sin and it was good for all time. So, what, what he's saying here is that sin's been dealt with, the, the issue of sin is done, it's been answered. At the cross, if you want to see what God thinks about sin and sinners, he answered that question. He responded once and for all on the cross through Jesus Christ. And it wasn't God's wrath raining down on the world. It was God's love raining down on the world through the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. And that power is even greater than the power of sin that has been plaguing the world ever since Adam did and started that chain reaction of leaving and ignoring God's best that we all continue to do. Even more powerful than that is what Jesus offers us in himself, his free gift of love. He just wants us to receive it. He just wants us to respond to him. So let me put it to you like this, just to make sure we understand. What happened at the cross was a huge shift, a cosmic shift. At the cross, something changed. A lot changed. And let me summarize it kind of like this. Before the cross, like in the Old Testament, like before Jesus came... The way sin was dealt with was a sacrificial system, and we've talked about this before. People would come to the temple, they'd offer sacrifices to have their sins forgiven. Then they would continue to sin, which means they have to continue to sacrifice over and over and over again. And the name of the game, the name of the sin game, if you, you want know, to use that terminology of the Old Testament, and I know it's not a game, but you know what I mean, is to avoid sin. Right, We want to try to sin as little as possible because the more we sin, the more sacrifices we have to make. And so the question you kind of live with is that, is this sin? Is this sin? Is that a sin? Did I sin? Is that considered sin? Because now I'm going to have to go back to the temple and offer more sacrifices and on and on and on and on and on it goes. Now, the cross of Jesus happened. And after the cross, And we see this through the New Testament. How sin is dealt with is once for all. We just read all of that with Jesus on the cross. That's how sin is addressed and dealt with. Jesus dealt with it. It is a done deal once and for all, for all time and for all people. And so how we are to position ourselves now is that we don't have to go through life just trying to not sin and not screw up and not mess up. I mean, that's not a bad thing to not do, but it's better to pursue love because the way of Jesus is the way of love. Now, remember, remember, he said, how how do you know that? where did the love thing come from? Because, because the night before Jesus was crucified, we've talked about this before, Jesus gave his followers a brand new command. A new command. Not another command, but a new command. A command that would supersede like all the other commandments. It would be like the umbrella that everything else is about and is addressed in. And his new command was simply to love each other as he through Christ has loved us. As God has loved us. To love each other as we have been loved by God through Jesus. To love as we've been loved. That's the new commandment. And so now, Jesus displayed that beautifully on the cross. And for us to pursue love is the better way. And instead of constantly living with the sin avoidance of, is this sin, is that sin, is that sin, is this sin, now we can ask the question, is this loving That's a better question than, is this sin? Is this loving is a kind of question that gets us so much farther down the road to what Jesus is really all about. Here's the truth, and I I think you would understand this, is that there's a lot of times I, I don't know whether something is a sin or not. I don't know. People ask me, you think that's a sin? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it depends. Depends on the situation. I mean, sometimes it's that gray. I don't always know whether something is a sin or not. I don't always have that full understanding. But I almost always know what the most loving thing to do is. And I almost always know what the most loving thing to say is. Now, I don't always do that. That would be sin. And I don't always say that. Again, sin. Because God's best for us is to love each other as we have been loved. And we most always know what the most loving thing to do and to say is. That's why here at the summit, we like to rally around the idea of loving first, love first, because that will always take us to God's best. So at the cross, there was a shift. A shift from a sacrificial system to something that Jesus accomplished on the cross that the sacrificial system could never accomplish. There was a shift. I'm no longer just avoiding sin. I get to pursue love. It's no longer now a question of is this sin, is that a sin. now I pursue love in a way that I can consider, is this loving? And then do and say the most loving things. As I learn to love as I have been loved. And there's no greater example of that than what Jesus did with his self-sacrificing love on the cross. So now, sin is no longer really the big issue between God and humanity. Jesus took care of that. Jesus addressed the issue of sin. Let let me take you to a passage of Scripture real quickly that may be pretty familiar to a lot of you if you're followers of Jesus. If you've been in church um, for a while, you've probably heard this. This may be new to you if you're new to church. But this kind of summarizes everything which, that we've been talking about. When Paul writes to the Romans again, he says this. For the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, is death. We talked about that last week. Sin brings death. Something always dies because of sin. For the wages of sin is death. Big general statement. But the free gift of God, Jesus Christ, is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus our Lord, So the wages of sin is death. It brings death. You leave God's best and things are going to die. But the free gift of God through what Jesus did for us brings eternal life. And so sin was answered. Sin was addressed. And so the issue now is whether or not we are trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for us. The issue is no longer sin. The issue really is is belief or unbelief. And I hope that you're at a place of belief, of trust, and say, yes, I see what Jesus did on the cross, and I see that he did it for sinners like me, and I believe he did it, and I am trusting that he did it, and that he did it for me. That's the issue now. So may we respond and may we receive what Jesus did for us with his self-sacrificing love. The issue is no longer sin. The issue is belief. And the issue, once we are believing, then becomes following Jesus and learning what it means to live in victory and triumph over sin, pursuing God's best for us. And actually, that's what we'll talk about. In the last two weeks of this series. So let's review. Does God have wrath towards sin? I guess you could say, in a sense, yes, he does. It's a, God does get angry at sin, but it's a, it's a righteous anger. It's, it's an anger because sin brings hurt to people he loves. It hurts you, it hurts others, and it even hurts God's purpose in our lives. But if you want to see, even though God's wrath and God's judgment is a real thing, and there is a context for that, if you want to see what God really thinks about your sin, and if you want to understand what God really thinks about sinners, like you and me and even the worst kind of sinners in the world, all you have to do is see Jesus on the cross. And that is God's ultimate and final and primary response to sin and sinners. It's a response of compassion. It's a response of self-sacrificing love. Or you could say it like this, that at the cross, what we see is that God, through Jesus, was broken for our Brokenness for your brokenness, for my brokenness, for their brokenness, for the world's brokenness. God was broken, and it was a self-sacrificing kind of broken. And he did that for us, for our brokenness. And that reality should break us. It should affect us. It should touch us deeply in our hearts because it was our sin. It was our sin that Jesus was carrying on the cross. Just as much. It wasn't just about those people who were crucifying Jesus. No, the prophet Isaiah makes it clear. It was our sin in Isaiah 53 that he was carrying. And all throughout the New Testament, we see Peter at Pentecost when he was preaching to thousands of people, when the church kind of got started, that was one of his main points is that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. That should break us, but not just break us, it should also motivate us. To see that God was broken for our brokenness should motivate us to a life of gratitude and following Jesus and giving our lives for him in response to all that he has given for us. In fact, what I want to do is leave you with one more passage that I believe kind of sets us up for the rest of the series When Paul writes to the Romans, therefore, I urge you. In other words, I really want you to think about this. I really want you to take this seriously. I urge you. I challenge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And what he's referring to here, in view of what God has done for us through Jesus, in view of all that Jesus has done for us, I urge you. To offer your bodies, your lives, yourselves as a living sacrifice. In other words, we are to be giving ourselves with our lives how we live, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, he says, if you want to worship God, if you want to respond, it's not just about singing songs, and that's great. And it's not just about you know, going to church, and that's great. And it's not just about checking this box, and you know, the boxes have their place. No, it's about how you live your life. That when you think of all that God has done for you through Jesus, and you look at the cross, you see how God thinks about sin, and what God thinks about sinners, just like you and me. When you get a good glimpse of that, and you're trusting in that, The only thing that makes sense is that we respond by saying now that you have given your life for me. I now give my life back to you as a living sacrifice. And I live my life as worship to you. Our Father, may that be the reality of our lives. May this be our prayer. That we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That we give ourselves to you in response to how you have given yourself to us. May we have a clear understanding of what happened at the cross. That at the cross we don't see an angry, mad, upset, ticked off God just looking to take his anger out on somebody. No, we see a a loving God, self-sacrificing love of God. And we see a God that would rather die for his enemies than to get even with them. We see a God that loves us all so much in spite of our sin, that he absorbed our sin up into himself and then offers his life to us in return. And for anyone that's listening, that is not trusting in you as Savior, may they begin that now. May they begin embracing what you have done on the cross for them now. And may they begin learning what it means to follow you as they learn how to trust you as Savior. And for all of us who are following you, may we remember what it's all about. And that is our response to your ultimate response of love to us. And may we love as you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.